Kia this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Good morning all and welcome to Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. You're listening to Alcoholics Anonymous Meeting on Air. My name is Dan. I'm an alcoholic. You can all say hi, Dan, if you like. Hi, Dan. Hi, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So um, what we'll do is we will start, as we do with all meetings, with the serenity prayer. So if you'd like to all join me. God, God, grant grant me the serenity serenity to accept the things things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Okay, I'll read the preamble now to Alcoholics Anonymous. It just um, explains a little bit about what AA is. So let me just find it here. So, Alcoholics Anonymous. I just had it here, and here we go. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So in the studio today we have Wednesday Night Steps and Traditions. It's a meeting uh, in Wellington based in Thorndon and uh, it's no, normally on its half past seven on a Wednesday night. And so it's great to have a bunch of uh, the home group members or regular attendees of that meeting in the studio today. So uh, what we'll do, normally they focus on the book 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Uh, but today what we're going to do is do a reading from the Daily Reflections to give us a bit of a theme from the meeting. So... Cass, would you like to read that for us? Yeah, sure. Hi, my name's Cass. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Cass. And um, I've come with, I've got the daily reflection on my phone, so I do hope it is actually the right one. Uh, For April 10th, uh, it says, Growing up. The essence of all growth is a willingness to change for the better, and then an unremitting willingness to shoulder whatever responsibility this entails. And that's from, as Bill sees it, page 115. And the the rest goes like this. Sometimes when I've been willing to do what I should have been doing all along, I want praise and recognition. (laughs) I don't realise that the more I'm willing to act differently, the more exciting my life is. The more I am willing to help others, the more rewards I receive. That's what practising the principles means to me. Fun and benefits for me are in the willingness to do the actions, not to get immediate results. Being a little kinder, a little slower to anger, a little more loving, makes my life better day by day. Thanks, Cass. Great. So um, what we'll do is we'll just go around and, and, uh, and pick people to share. So I guess we'll just go around in a, in a circle like that. So Anne, would you like to share first? Thanks, Dan. My name's Anne. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Saturday morning. I'm nearly awake. <laughs> uh, lovely to be here and uh, lovely to be at a meeting. Um, I love that reading, and uh, you know, spoke to me on, you know, two, two things. One, one is change, and the other is um, 
Well, I've forgotten already. But anyway, this <laughs> when I was drinking, my my drinking uh, and my becoming an alcoholic was a kind of long, slow, creeping process. Uh, and the word change spoke to me because it, I'd got to a point in my life where each morning I would wake up and I'd wake up with a headache, a very my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. And the first thing that would come to mind would be uh, what I'd said to myself the night before, which was, oh my God, I'm not going to drink tomorrow. And I would say that to myself in the morning in the strange roundabout kind of uh, late morning, some little switch would flick. And, you know, they describe this as a, as a kind of part of the disease of alcoholism, but it's a kind of, kind of uncontrollable insanity that, you know, I did not want to drink and yet I could not not plan that first drink of the day, which was sometimes lunchtime, uh, if that were permissible. Uh, if I wasn't very well, it would be uh, whiskey and a lemon and honey drink right first thing in the morning. Uh, that, because I wasn't feeling so well. Um, but certainly by two o'clock, that switch was well and truly flicked, and I would not drink the next day. Now, you know, this uh, was, you know, I could, could look back on various uh, <coughs> times in my life when I hadn't drunk. I'd done a dry July or a dry January, and even that became impossible. So um, on top of that, my doctor started looking at the... Uh, liver function test. My daughter would uh, start commenting on the amount that I was drinking. My husband started commenting. And I became more and more kind of secretive about it. And that was when I knew the behaviours were kind of, I was not in a normal relationship with alcohol. And I didn't like that because this is a thing that I tried with all my best efforts to change and I could not. Uh, and I think the point came when I just, I gave up and uh, I rang the 0800 number and a really, a wonderful voice just encouraged me to actually go to a meeting, go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I went to a Thorndon meeting and I sat down and I didn't really want to be in AA, but I kind of instantly felt, and I think I, this is quite a, it's a lucky experience. I was desperate and I did not want to drink and I knew that I could not do this on my own. And what I found in AA was a group of really people just like me. You know, my story was the same as others shared in that room. And, you know, I began uh, the journey of recovery. And that began just with one day at a time with the support of other people. I could, knew I could not do this on my own. And uh, it's been a, a, a journey that I would not change for anything in this world because what the 12-step program and recovery shown me is that change is possible one day at a time I don't need to dream but I think what that reading mentioned was the the kind of focus then on on being the kind of person that I really want to be the kind of happiness that comes with a a, a way of living that actually fills the whole inside that actually was what I was needing more and more to fill with alcohol and um so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. I hear that a lot in AA, and I go, what are they grateful for? Mm -hmm. And I go, well, it's the capacity to change, and the tools of the 12-step program actually really have given me a way to live that I had lost in my life. Uh, and, yeah, I'll keep coming to AA because I think I have around me a group of people who I've come to love very deeply and appreciate and value. And I'm doing this with others, which is fantastic. So thanks, everyone.
Thanks, Thanks Anne. Anne. This is Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM and this is Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. Now if you're listening and you want to get in touch with AA, the best way to do that is to go onto the website. AA.org.nz is our website and it's got lots of information on there. When you go onto the site, one of the first things you see is a big uh, banner that says, I need help. <laughs> and you can click on that. Uh, if you do, it says, I need to find a meeting, I need to talk now, and I need some information. So I need to talk now. It's got the phone number there, which is 0800 229 6757. And it's a nationwide number manned by alcoholics all around the country, sober ones that have been around, uh, you know, been in AA a little while. So if you've got questions about AA, it's a, that's a good place to start as well if you want to talk to somebody. And need to find a meeting. There's a big list of meetings all around the country as well. You can sort it by time and day as well. And you can see how prolific the meetings are in New Zealand and in your area as well, hopefully. So um, let's, let's carry on with the sharing. So uh, Daniel, would you like to share next? Hi, I'm another Daniel and I'm another alcoholic Um, and it's good to be here this morning. Um, Just a little bit about my um, background in terms of my uh, journey and and, and, uh, first of all the the alcoholism that got me me to where I am and and secondly about the journey since. Um, uh, I drank for 30 years and 10 of them were fun, 10 of them were difficult and 10 of them were hell. And towards the end of the 10 of them that were fun, I got posted out to Dubai in 1974. And uh, when I got there, I was given, I had a brand new wife and I was given a beautiful villa uh, on the beach opposite what is now Palm Island. And I thought I'd arrived in paradise. And next door to me lived a colleague that I worked with. And uh, he was about 45 or so, but he looked about 75 bit bit like I do now. And his day consisted of waking up at four o'clock in the morning with the sweats and the shakes uh, and not able to function at all. And he was always the first one into the office. We started work early in in those days because it was a hot climate. So he'd be in the office at six o'clock. And the reason he needed to be in the office at six o'clock was to get down to the bottom right-hand drawer of his desk in which he had a nice gin bottle. And that then steadied him up for a couple of hours and then he would go off around town and he'd get some more. And then he'd be the first one up to the club bar at lunchtime and he'd be straight into gin lime sodas. And then later in the afternoon, he'd be the first one up uh, and at about 4.30 uh, and he'd be back into big gin lime sodas. And we used to take, take the mickey out of him because the bar uh, had a big, beautiful uh, panoramic window and it overlooked the gulf and it overlooked where the sun set. And we used to say to him, John, you better ease up on those gin lime sodas, otherwise you're going to miss the green flash when the sun goes down. We'd convinced him that there was a green flash when the sun went down. He never saw the green flash. He always passed out before, and then the stewards at the club would take him downstairs and his ever-loving wife would be waiting in the car. They'd throw him in the back of the car and that would be him done until four o'clock the next morning when he would repeat the whole process all over again. And I remember saying to myself at the time, I hope the hell that never happens to me. Can I have another Amstel, please? And uh, I was drinking reasonably uh, heavily at that stage, but it wasn't impairing me in any way. But if you roll the cameras forward about 20 years, pretty much that's where I ended up. Um, 
uh, except uh, in my case, the wife had long gone before then. Um, and I won't go through the whole sort of process, but it was a gradual process in my case uh, of uh, difficulties. Uh, and I often say that it wasn't alcoholism that nearly killed me, it was denial. And the denial was phenomenally strong. Um, and it, uh, I, I, I processed through daily drinking and various other things. And uh, I, I did a lot of international travel in my job and I used to get into trouble again and going on benders in very dangerous places like, uh, you know, um, uh, places where it's, you, you should not do that. And um, um, what really was the, um, the, the final straw was when I woke up in my flat in Manchester in, after one of these benders and I looked at my watch and it was two o'clock and I didn't know whether it was two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, at that moment in time, I realised a truth. I realised that either I had to get... Because I, I realised that I couldn't live with alcohol and I couldn't live without it either. I know it says that in the, in the book, uh, but that, uh, that I hadn't read that at that stage, but I knew that I couldn't live with it and I couldn't live without it. So that, that meant I had a fundamental choice to make. Either I had to get sober or I had to top myself. There was nothing in between. And I was taken away to see a woman uh, who was a physician. She was, a, uh, she was also the fund holder for Stockport Area Health Authority Drug and Alcohol Treatment, and she sent me down to a place in, in the West Country in England called Broadway Lodge, and I was introduced in that establishment, in that institution, to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I remember very distinctly, after I was in there for about a month, uh, um, and I was very grateful to be there because I was very frightened. I didn't want to drink anymore, uh, and 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 I was I was I was I, I felt safe in there. And I remember after about a month, we slept in dormitories, and I remember waking up. Um, one morning, and I sat bolt upright in the bed at about six o'clock in the morning, and I suddenly realised that I hadn't thought about a drink the day before, and that not had not happened for thirty years, and that persuaded me that it was possible not to think about a drink for more days than one, and it also convinced me that this these 12 steps and this program had something to do with it, which I could not pin down, but nevertheless, it was a fact. Anyway, I continued to work the program and I got out of that place after some time and uh, I, was, um, I was really scared. I didn't want to drink anymore and I, I overdosed on meetings, um, probably did about six or seven a week um, and I just wanted to be connected to AA because that's what I've been suggested I should do, and I did. And that has been the case ever since, although I don't attend that many meetings anymore. Um, and uh, uh, there have been um, significant changes in my life since that time. I went through about 10 years of sobriety without any challenges, uh, and then I was faced with some big challenges, and I got through them, and uh, the getting through them uh, did not entail having to pick up a drink and for that I am very grateful um, I, um, I, 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 I remarried uh, in sobriety 
and uh, separated in sobriety, but uh, nothing to do with alcohol. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I had children, which I'd never had before. And uh, uh, that was a, that was a blessing that uh, I was I was I didn't want, but uh, but it has turned out to be very interesting. And again, not without its challenges. I have a seventeen-year-old son at the moment, and sometimes I love him, and sometimes I want to murder him. But that's okay. Uh, we'll get we'll get through that, or he'll get through that. Uh, and uh, and I try to practice the program as best I can. Um, and I try to, the way I look at it is I don't, I, I, I've been fortunate enough not to relapse as far as alcohol is concerned, but I do need to work very, very uh, consistently on step six and seven because I'm very prone to relapse on character defects. Uh, and if I fall over on the character defects, I have to pick myself up and start all over again uh, and that's part of that 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 whole journey. Anyway, I think uh, um, that's. I would just and, and my home group has been Wellington Steps and Traditions since I came down to Wellington from uh, Palmerston North, which is where I first lived when I came to New Zealand. Uh, and uh, it's been my home group since two thousand and two. Uh, and we are um, uh, a sister or a brother of another group in the same building called Bulls and Bears. Uh, who are next week celebrating their 40th anniversary, which I shall be mm. delighted to attend. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Daniel. <clears throat> this is uh, Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM, and this is Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. And we've got, uh, as Daniel mentioned, this is Wednesday Night Steps and Traditions, the group, <laughs> the, the home group that are in the studio today. Now, if you're, uh, if you're listening on, on um, the radio or on a podcast, uh, just to let you know about our Facebook page. It's called AA on Air Wellington. And every so often we'll post on there and let you know when we're having a, a live uh, presentation. We, we run every four weeks. And sometimes we get messages from people that are listening. And often those people are not even from New Zealand. So it's nice to know that we've got you know, listeners all around the world that send us a message. And occasionally we will read the message out on the air, obviously keeping the anonymity of the person who's uh, sent us the message. So if you do want to send us something and we may or may not read it out on air, um, yeah, that would be great. So that's AA On Air Wellington on Facebook. So feel free to like us as well. All right, well, let's, uh, let's carry on with the sharing. So Mandy, would you like to share? Oh, thank you. Hi, I'm Mandy, alcoholic. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice to be sober on a Saturday morning not hungover, not feeling guilty, not remorseful, um, in my own bed, uh, in my own country, uh, with my partner, which when I was drinking, I was MIA, I was missing an alcoholism, and I could never guarantee any of my actions. And I love the reading, you know, it starts with growing up, and I never wanted to grow up. I never wanted to have consequences in my life. I didn't want to have responsibilities. I tried to slip under the radar. Uh, and drinking helped me do that because um, it was like the <clears throat> it was like the glue that fixed me. I'd already felt broken, and this was, you know, game on. It was my solution to living, and um, I didn't need to feel. I didn't need to take responsibility. And I was chaotic and out of control from the first drink. 
and I thought oh, I had a behaviour problem. I didn't think I had a drinking problem. And I got into trouble very quickly and very young and I thought I needed to change my circumstances, my environment, dye my hair, um, just everything to do with the externals of my life. Even, you know, maybe I'm adopted, I maybe need a new family. I was always um, trying to change outside circumstances and never wanting to put the spotlight on myself. And um, this is from even a really young age, um, you know, I was sent to the Navy to be disciplined when I was 16 and thought, well, why, why am I up here, you know, running 5Ks and doing this and doing that? And I've got two sisters at home on their beanbags watching the Mickey Mouse Club, you know. Um, so there was already something going on for me that my parents could see from a young age. And um, from the moment I could just drink like I wanted to drink, like just be smacked out of reality on a daily basis really is what I wanted. Um, so I just sought out drinking all the time and later, you know, like I enhanced it with um, pills and marijuana and ecstasy and just whatever I could to not feel, to not function, to not turn up in my life. And yet the flip side was I desperately wanted someone to love me, understand me, to get me to say everything's going to be okay, um, you know, you're not alone, uh, you don't need to be so isolated, um, you're not that unique. And I just, that just didn't happen. And so I'd find myself at um, bike clubs, gang pads, uh, gay floats, uh, riding a camel in Egypt, sunning myself on the beach in Spain. You know, I was just all over the place and pulled in all sorts of different directions. I had two different passports and I didn't know who I was. And alcohol allowed me to be this vivacious, out there, out of control, uh, on the edge of the wedge type person. And um, I had no spiritual connection to anyone or anything. And that's kind of what really got me was a spiritual bankruptcy you know, like I would just move people around like pieces of furniture in my life with no real attachment. And, you know, if someone, my perception would be so off that if someone kind of dropped dead in front of me, I'd just kind of walk over them. Yet if I broke a fingernail, I'd be in bed crying. So little things became big and big things became little. It was like that hall of mirrors. mirrors. And my alcoholic life actually became my only normal life and my only way of existing and functioning. And it wasn't until I got into the doors of AA via a mental health officer assessing me via an alcohol and drug uh, rehab centre, um, I find myself in an AA meeting and I didn't think I needed to be there. Denial's been mentioned. I thought too young, too smart, too well educated. Still got my parents together. What you know? What's happening here? This is something's not right. And I continued to drink and go to meetings. I was still extremely in denial. And that reading mentions change. I thought I can't change. I'm exactly the way I am day after day. I'm like a lump of concrete. Nothing's going in. Nothing's going out. I can't change. And slowly the program started to work me. You know, I sat there and I started to identify with the feelings rather than the stories. And I thought, wow, you know, these people are putting my words into feelings and that's how I feel. And, you know, pitiful and in incomprehensible de demoralisation. I thought, I know what that feels like. Um, alcohol had become my master and, you know, 
you know, just lines like that, you know, quicksand stretched about me in all directions, you know, whatever I tried to do, I just kept drowning. And AA was loving and kind and people tried to help me. But I had to surrender again in in sobriety, like there's more surrenders, not just to alcohol. And I've had to work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous so that I get that entire personality psychic change that it talks about. You know, it's not the old me scrubbed up, it's a new me. And um, I have to maintain that by helping others, um, you know, prayer and meditation. I have to try and connect with something greater than myself because I was it. And if I listen to what my head tells me, I'm in a bad neighbourhood and it's machete country and I'm out to get everyone. So I need a spiritual basis to remain sober because I'm the alcoholic of the type they talk about in the big book, you know, the real Jekyll and Hyde. And I certainly led a double life when I was drinking. And I try to be authentic today. I try to be one person. So if other people are talking about me, it's like, oh, yes, we we know who you're talking about. When I was drinking, they're like, actually, we're talking about the same person here because I had like 96 personalities and nobody knew who I really was. And today I'm authentic. Today I have a job um, and I'm responsible. I turn up. I do what I'm meant to do. I have my lunch at 12. I get pay rises. Things that just were not happening, you know, doors were closing and people were saying, well, we're going to call the police on you if you don't leave now. Or where were you yesterday? Um, It's now Wednesday and I'd missed two days. Um, Just, yeah, all of that stuff, just never wanting to follow the rules, never wanting to bake a cake because that involved measuring ingredients and following some suggestions. So I'd end up with the cake, I think. Nah, I'll throw in five eggs instead of three. And it's that type of attitude that I've really had to change and those character defects that keep me unwell. So I'm incredibly grateful to be here and grateful to be sober and thanks for asking me to share. Thanks, Mandy. Uh, You're on 106.1 FM, Alcoholics Anonymous, meeting on air on Access Radio. And uh, I mentioned earlier how to contact AA if you want to uh, find out what we're all about. So aa.org.nz is the website. And on there there's lots and lots of information. Uh, There's a a list of meetings, information about AA. There's information for AA members and professionals as well. But really it's just, um, yeah, just the the best thing to do is to try and get to a meeting and like a a live meeting if you can. But obviously these online meetings and on-air meetings are also excellent. So you can find all of those on the website, aa.org.nz. For example, uh, going to AA meetings, um, if you hover over that, there's an option which is on-air meetings, and it takes you to a long list of these previous recorded meetings. So you can listen to um, various previous uh, recordings of these meetings, and there's also an option, it's a link to take you to more and more of them. And there's a whole bunch of them from um, that were done in Christchurch, so from back as far as 2016. So there's probably a couple of hundred um, meetings and, and recordings that you can listen to on on the website, um, aa.org.nz. So there's lots of stuff there.
All right, well, let's um, carry on with the, with the live sharing now. So, Cass, would you like to share? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Hi, I'm Cass. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a bit, bit hard to know where to start, so I think I'll just use our daily reflection as a, as a starting point. Um, yeah, it's about change, right, and growing up. Um, and I like that the, you know, when in the daily reflections they have um, sort of an excerpt from AA literature followed by somebody's opinion. Um, and I really do agree with this person's opinion because what they say is sometimes when I've been willing to do what I should have been doing all along, I want praise and recognition. Um, and, you know, I really relate to that. Um, and... I love then that it goes on to say, I don't realise that the more I'm willing to act differently, the more exciting my life is. But, um, you know, I my life is amazing today because of Alcoholics Anonymous, but in some ways the change that I've had has been quite small, like it's been on a small level, but, but the results of that change I think are quite huge. So, um, you know, when it says, you know, um, it says, I'm willing to act differently. The more I am willing to help others, the more res- res- uh, rewards I receive. That's what practicing the principles means to me. And for me, it's um, it's been such a learning journey because, you know, it talks in the big book about the character defects, you know, and one of them is self-seeking, selfishness, dishonesty. And if I if I work really hard on my steps and try to practice the opposite of those things, my life is pretty good today. Um, And when I first came into AA, I had no concept of any of this. Um, You know, I actually, uh, and many people know my story, that I I kept on drinking for three years uh, after I came into AA. So it was three years of drinking and going to AA meetings before I, um, God willing, put down my last drink. Um... And I did have moments, you know, I had periods of sobriety in that time, but I didn't really, oh, I hadn't done the steps. I wasn't doing the steps. And I don't quite understand how I managed to go for three years to meetings and not kind of get that message. Um, Mm. But, you know, what this does is it, it shows that if you're struggling, don't stop going to meetings um, because everybody was really welcoming to me. And I suspect people were sort of, you know, in hindsight, I was so full of myself, I didn't realise that people were probably thinking, Huck, is she ever going to get it? You know, let's mm-hmm. just keep saying this, let's keep saying that, maybe she'll get it. Um, you know, chances are that's what some people would, were doing. They were trying to give me a message. And, um, you know, finally I got it. Uh, and for me it was it was getting a sponsor, it was doing the steps as they're written in the big book and following those instructions. And I had no clue what it meant, you know. I still didn't really understand. And for, for anyone who is struggling, I would say don't worry about that either. Like, just keep going anyway, even if it doesn't make sense. You know, they talk about faking it till you make it. Um, but I really wanted to analyse this program. I wanted to work out why it worked. What was the whole thing behind it? Where was I going with it? You know, I remember when my sponsor said to me about my step four, you know, don't leave it lying around where people can uh, maybe see it. And I thought she was kind of, she wasn't meaning, what she meant was other people won't understand that this isn't actually about them. <laughs> um, you know, it took me so long to realise that my step four wasn't about other people, it was about me. 
I just like it was, and I keep saying, what was that thing you said? I'd say this to my sponsor. What was that thing you said about it not being about them? Remind me. <laughs> um, and now it's really obvious to me. You know, it's all about me. Whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And so the answer for me these days is to is to be wary of my character defects. You know, to 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 realise when I'm maybe practicing dishonesty. To realise when I'm you know, I'm fearful beyond the beyond the natural bounds of, you know, fear's not a bad thing in itself. You know, I heard um, Daniel say that at a meeting, you know, fear's okay. It's when it exceeds its proper uh, usefulness um, that it starts to actually drive behaviour that's not productive. Um, self-seeking, I had no concept of that I was the most self-seeking person. Oh God, it all had to be about me. And you know, and I think back, you know, I'm, I am an only child and everything I did was praised. <laughs> and um, you know, so I had, you know, so it was really tough for me. I remember, you know, I used to hang out with my cousins and stuff, and I think sometimes my cousins' parents got a little frustrated with um with me. But I had no idea that I had if anybody said anything remotely negative to me, I was often bloody <laughs> crying and oh you know, because I was uh, you know, I was a bit of a, you know, I was a special little thing. And um, and I've learned now that I'm not, you know, I'm just like, and that's that's absolutely no disrespect to my parents who are incredible. But, you know, this is, I just had no, I had no, I didn't have a thick skin. I didn't know how to deal with life. I thought that I had to be the best at everything. I always had to be the centre of attention. And, you know, AA's taught me that I'm just, I'm just, you know, a worker among workers. You know, they say another bozo on the bus. Um, and honestly, I swear that's been such a revelation for me. Um, yeah, and, and that's what I love about that reading is that it says, you know, <laughs> that's why it re- resonated with me because, you know, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm acting really well now. Um, but that's not the point. Um, and, you know, and it says in the 12 and 12 about... Um, I can't remember which step it is, and I know that book is just a series of essays. It's not where you get your instructions for doing the steps. But I do love uh, the bit in the 12 and 12 that talks about um, character building is the goal. So it's not that you're character building and doing this to become for a reward. It actually is the reward in itself. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I have up days and I have down days, but but what I do have now is I take pleasure in really small things like buying a coffee, you know, that just gives me such pleasure, you know, looking at, you know, getting up and realising it's a really nice day or, um, you know, or being able to cook dinner for my family without burning it. You know, they're small things, but, you know, I'm just, I'm very, very grateful um, and I'm not quite sure how we're going on time yeah, I mean, just a little bit of my story then. You know, I um, I wasn't an alcoholic from the first drink, uh, I don't think, um, but I always had that ism, you know, that I self me. Um, I was very, I was very uncomfortable, and you know, I when I first started drinking, it did afford me a level of comfort and ease, and I was able to talk to people. But I didn't drink alcoholically. But I do remember things like um, in my final year of school, I went away for a weekend uh, at one of the lakes in Otago with some girlfriends. 
And we didn't take alcohol. Uh, you know, I don't, don't know what that was about. And then even at the time, I remember saying we should have some wine or we should have something with us. And I'd never really drunk at all before, but I knew that we had to have alcohol to make the experience better. And, you know, that was just an example of my mind, yeah. But, you know, I definitely had quite a sheltered upbringing and I, it wasn't until I got to university that, that I did start... Um, I did start drinking, but um, for me, it got really, really bad after I had children. Uh, so, you know, when I had my baby, like I've got two daughters, um, being at home looking after young children is actually not that easy. And for me, I thought, well, you know, and, you know, of course, I'd had sort of had a bit of a party kind of lifestyle up until that point. And I thought, well, maybe I could have alcohol as a way of um, easing the pressure from my hard day. And so and my husband would come home with a bottle of wine and then it became two and it became this thing that we always drank every night. And then this went on for a few years um, and it just got more and more. And then, you know, to the point where I, it was actually quite a big deal to go a night without drinking and my husband then decided that actually, oh, we had a lot of conversations too about whether or not we were alcoholic. And we always came to the conclusion that we weren't that bad. Um, that was quite a big thing, you know, to, to be an alcoholic was like, ooh. So, um, but it just, you know, it did get to the point where where it was a staple in our lives. And that's when my husband decided he needed to stop um, and that is when it got really bad for me because I had to drink secretly. Um, and so I spent, um, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, no, no, we're not going to drink, we're not drinking. But of course I was out buying it secretly, I was drinking secretly. Um, you know, my husband would always call before he came home from work and he'd be checking to sort of hear whether I was slurring. Um, and that was always quite tough, you know. Uh, yeah, that was quite a lot of effort went into um, trying to sound sober um, because also I wanted to drink normal, you know, I, I didn't, I wanted him to think I didn't have a problem and that, oh, I'm just going to have a glass of wine, just, you know, but of course I'd already had a bottle <laughs> and that was my sort of preloading, if you like. Um, and yeah, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I always knew with my children, um, you know, I went back to work and stuff and then I was always drinking with people I worked with, you know, that was what I did. I always knew deep down there was going to have to be a point where my kids would start to notice and I'd have to stop. I always thought that. Um, but, you know, and I thought, oh, that's okay, I'll deal with that when it happens. Once they start to notice, then, then I'll stop. <laughs> and then, of course, I found I couldn't stop. So, you know, and that's when I came into AA and I, I went to one meeting and I thought, um, my husband dropped me off. And when I came out of the meeting, I had no clue what was going on in that meeting, you know, um, just no idea. But I came out, my husband picked me up afterwards, and I said, um, I said, cool, sorted, um, I'm all fine now, been to AA. And, um, you know, and, and actually one of the things that really helped me was that I went into an AA meeting, you know, desperately ashamed and stuff. And there sitting there was a woman I worked with um, and she was amazing. And she just kept saying to me, you know, it's just one day. But it really helped to have somebody that I could talk to um, about it, even though I still didn't really get it. Um, you know, and I had other people um, in the program who I worked with who would... Uh, <laughs> 
who would just so patient, you know, and I kept saying, oh, I don't think I'm an alcoholic because I desperately didn't want to be one. And I thought if I didn't want to be an alcoholic, I wouldn't have to be one. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, everybody around me knew, but I was like, mm-hmm, you know, no. But eventually, you know, I kept coming back. And it's like I said at the start, you know, anybody who's struggling, don't stop going to AA because something will click. It will. And um, and for me, it was, you know, getting my sponsor and going through those steps. And, you know, I'm just so grateful. I'm really, really grateful that I have an amazing home group. I love, I absolutely love my home group. Um, it's like a staple of my life. And um, in fact, AA itself has, you know, given me a new life. So I'll, I'll leave it there. And thank you for asking me to share. Thanks, Cass. <coughs> Thanks, Cass. So this is uh, Wellington Access Radio, 106.1. FM and Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. So um, what I'll do is I'll just um, round up by doing a bit of a share as well. So I'm Dan. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Dan. Yeah, and it's uh, it is great to be here, and it's um, it's nice to have a chance to share on the radio too because uh, often the, um, I don't get a chance. So it's it's nice to get a few minutes at the end, and it's always, it's always a privilege for me to to sit at a meeting and hear the honesty that I that I hear from my fellows. And just to realize, really realise that um, you know, it's a privilege to, to get a chance at sobriety and to be able to sit in the rooms. And uh, you know, for me, I, I, I never thought I was that bad, right? <laughs> I, um, I staggered into the rooms at the you know, age of 20 and uh, decided that I wasn't anywhere near bad enough then and uh, just, you know, just carried on. Uh, but obviously that that little brush with AA did sow a bit of a seed, and, and deep down I knew that, like I was always, you know, um, I loved alcohol a little bit more than most people I knew, although I did tend to surround myself with people that loved drinking as well, and but you know, despite all of that, I was able to carry on and, and do all the the normal things that people do, and get a you know a job and a and a house and a wife and all these sort of things. And but yeah, like eventually things got got to the point where yeah that they'd been bad for bad for a while, and I yeah I caught myself at a weak moment and <laughs> and rang AA and got myself to a meeting you know after a gap of like sixteen years of not going to any meetings at all or not trying to stop drinking or not not trying to moderate or anything um, yeah and. Yeah, I, something happened in that in that room, and um, you know I'd, I haven't had a drink since then. Um, it's not necessarily because of what happened in that room on that day, but it's what I've done since then. And I think um, you know the, the steps has been mentioned in, in a sponsor. And that's what I did. I got a sponsor and started working on the steps uh, pretty quickly. And um, <clears throat> so, uh, um, and and it wasn't long before th- uh, things started to get better straight away and um, yeah and things have gradually been, been you know, getting better ever since it's like you know my, my life net today is like you know I sleep peacefully at night time and um, you know I'd, I don't owe anyone any apologies or um, you know uh, you know I haven't ripped anybody off and I can hold my head high and walk around and you know like I'm not afraid of running into anybody on the street I'm not afraid of letters in the mail. I'm not afraid of people knocking at my door or the phone ringing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't walk around in a state of like nervousness about 
all the stuff that I've done catching up with me anymore. I'm really grateful for that. And instead I'm actually adding to my life, you know, like um, you know, my life is full now. I still try and get to my, my regular meetings because they're really important, you know, and it's like, and I, I, managed, I managed to squeeze in, you know, three meetings a week, most weeks. Yeah, and that's really, that's really important that I keep coming and keep doing the same things that I've always done in terms of, uh, you know, trying to do a bit of service and helping others and and um, praying and meditating and going to meetings and hanging out with my fellows, you know, because it's like it's all very well doing, you know, doing the program, but I need to I need to mix it up with my fellows as well and come in contact with newcomers as well. Um, but I'm I'm incredibly grateful for, for you know for the chance that I've had at sobriety, and you know I, I want to you know keep it going and, and just keep you know just keep adding to to what I've been doing and. You know, it's, it's, it's an absolutely wonderful thing. So, um, yeah, I'm really grateful to um, to everyone for coming in today as well. It's been a, it's been an awesome meeting. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.